Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Douglas Wilson. This is episode 313. 313. Thank you for joining us. It's been really good to have you along. So I want to talk a little bit about slander and damage control. Slander and damage control. And I'm not talking about an individual who's slandered, but I'm talking about Christian institutions, churches, schools, colleges, parachurch ministries, you know, any kind of entity with a board, either a session of elders for the church or a board of governors for a, for a school or a college. So you've got this institution. And we are living in a time when the devil, who is the father of lies, is really starting to flex and is, and is more than willing to lie about you, lie about your history, lie about your faculty, lie about your Members lie, you know, he's just willing to lie. And he's and if there's some truth mixed up with the lie, then so much the better. That gives it that gives it a surface plausibility. Now there are two basic ways of responding to a slanderous story that hits the front page. Okay, a slanderous story that hits the front page. So let's say you are the executive director of ministry XYZ and you've got a board. And you've got a donor base and you've got all the things, you know, you've got all the things. Okay. And someone publishes a hit piece on your ministry. Now, this is something I know that happen to know something about. We've we've had a number of hit pieces um, published about us over the years. A couple of years ago, there was an article in Vice magazine that that was a hit piece. This is not an unusual thing. When the story goes viral, when something uh, hits and they successfully throw a big object in the pool such that it makes a huge splash, within the institution, you're going to have one of two reactions. And I would argue that one, one reaction is a healthy reaction and the other reaction is an unhealthy or at the very least an unhelpful reaction. Uh, the anti-fragile institution, the anti-fragile institution is the institution that says, okay, what are the opportunities here? What are our opportunities in this? Don't, uh, or as John Piper might say, don't waste your slander. Don't let this opportunity go away. They, we, all of a sudden, we've got the spotlight shining on us. All of a sudden, we have access to the microphone after a fashion. All of a sudden, we have got this opportunity, and it is seen as an opportunity. The other kind of the other reaction, the unhelpful one, unhealthy one, is where everybody goes into PR management mode. What? How are we? How are we going to survive this? How can we get this controversy to go away? How can we get this thing off the front page? What is our demeanor? So. One attitude wants to lean in and say, "What? Okay, the Lord gave us this. How, how are we supposed to respond?" And the other reaction is to flinch, pull away, and to say, "How do we get out of here? How do we get out of this mess? We don't want to be in this position." Now, 
Uh, let's throw another couple of examples in from the book of Acts. The two episodes that involve the Apostle Paul, one happens in Ephesus and one in Jerusalem. In Ephesus, it's a Gentile riot, and in Jerusalem, it's a Jewish riot. So, and it's quite interesting that <laughs> the Gentiles and the Jews riot in much the same way. It's the same dynamic, same sort of thing is going on. One is they're rioting over their their income that is threatened by Paul's teaching on idolatry. The um, the silversmiths uh, help agitate the riot because. They're afraid of their livelihood. If this teaching of Paul's catches on, then what's going to happen to, the, to their little silver idols that they make? So they spent, uh, they spent some time in the, the-, the theater there at Ephesus shouting and yelling, uh, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And Luke, in this uh, very coy comment, says they, they, nobody, they didn't know why they were there. They were, just, they were just rioting. Then in Jerusalem, it was assumed that Paul had taken. I think it was Titus into the temple precincts with him, which he hadn't. But they set up a stir and a fuss, and they riot there in the court of the Gentiles. And the Roman soldier, there's a cohort that comes in, rescues Paul, and they're carrying him up the steps. And the rioting crowd is below. And in both places, in Ephesus and in Jerusalem, Paul saw the rioting mob as a speaking opportunity. <laughs> he, he he thought, oh, don't waste your riot, right? So it, it says in Ephesus that there were some uh, magistrates there, pagans. They were they were actually religious functionaries, and it says that they were friends of Paul. So uh, Paul had a con- connection with them. They were pagans, but they said they sent word to Paul, please don't try to enter the theater. Please don't go in. Don't. We know that you're going to see this as an opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified to the rioting mob. Please don't do that. So that's an emphasis. Uh, Paul, being carried off by the Roman soldiers, addresses the officer in charge, and, and he speaks to him and surprises the officer with his ability to speak his language, and he asks for permission to speak to the crowd. Now there, it wasn't a bad idea because he did quiet the crowd down, and he was surrounded by Roman soldiers, and they were up on the stair step where they, nobody could really get at him. But the thing that's interesting about this is Paul very much thought of these disturbances as opportunities. He, he would lean in to the disturbance. And we are far more skittish than that. And this, and this is why I would say the, the PR marketing, how is this going to play in the papers, nervousness, is far more dangerous to the long-term health of an organization. We really uh, need to lean against that. Always will be God. So continuing with episode 313 of the podcast, we continue to earn our graduate credits in sin. The course is called Hamartiology, and this week the word is kakurgos, kakurgos, which is translated as evildoer or malefactor. It's K-A-K-O-U-R-G-O-S, kakurgos. And this is interesting because our word last week, kakopoeo, was translated with exactly the same two English words, evildoer and malefactor. So there are a handful of times that both these words are 
rendered into English in the Bible, and there's two different Greek words, but they are rendered by the two identical English words, evildoer and malefactor. But in the Greek, the former was literally doer of evil. Poieo is to make or to do. And this word is worker of evil. It all amounts to the same amount of badness, though. Three of the uses of this word are found in Luke, describing the two thieves who were crucified on either side of Christ. And these three uses are all found within a few verses of one another. So this is Luke 23, uh, verse 32 verse 33, and verse 39. So I'll read those three verses. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Okay, there's our word, malefactors. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. That's verse 33. Then a few verses down, and one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So that's quite a way to go out, you know, right? You're a malefactor. You're a bad actor. You're a, you're, you've been guilty of various deeds deserving of death, which the other thief on the cross acknowledged. And you are crucified, and you are in the privileged position of being crucified right next to the Son of God who's being crucified for the sins of the world. And you take the opportunity to sort of rail on on the Christ and and insult him. The other malefactor didn't do that. The other malefactor, one of the Gospels tells us that both of them abused Christ and one of them thought better of it and repented and asked to be remembered when the Lord came into his kingdom. And the Lord said that he would. So uh, that's that's our word. Uh, evil worker, evildoer, malefactor. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul comments on how he was locked up, chained, as though he were an evildoer. Okay, but he was nothing of the kind, and the truth for which he was bound was in no way bound. That is always the way when evil persecutes the righteous. So when evil persecutes the righteous, one of the evil things that evil does is it accuses righteousness of being evil. Evil, one of the evil that evil does, one of, the, one of the evils that evil perpetuates is to accuse the righteous of being evil. They can lock up a righteous man, but they can't lock up the truth for which that righteous man stands. You can lock up a righteous man, but you can't lock up his truth. And this is, what Paul, this is Paul's observation in 2 Timothy 2.9. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, there's our word, as an evildoer, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. God don't never change. He's God. All right, so carrying on with episode 313 of the podcast, the book I'm reviewing uh, today is a work of fiction, and I'm not even sure what age group it's for. Probably younger readers, maybe junior high, high school. And adult, I'm reading it. Uh, this book is a book called Rabbit by Charles Higgins. Charles Higgins, and that the author is a pseudonym. There's a, um, the author is writing under a um, under a false name, under a, a pen name, under a pseudonym. So Rabbit by Charles Higgins. Now I'll I will just say one thing about this book, and I'll I'll say this one thing about the book by comparing it to another book. 
When I read the book by Leif Enger called Peace Like a River, which I think is his outstanding work, I read a couple of his others, which I didn't think were as good. But Peace Like a River was a book where I was like three pages in. When I was three pages into Peace Like a River, I was deeply invested in what happened to everybody. And I thought that, that that's the mark of, man, that, if you can do that as a writer of fiction, you've really done something. Because the, the job of a writer, what it boils down to is very simply, is the job of a writer is to make the reader want to turn the next page. You want to make the reader turn the next page. And you want him to turn, you, you want to write in such a way is that he's glancing at the clock saying, I really ought to go to bed, but I want to turn the next page. One of the best ways to get, make the reader want to turn the next page is by investing them in uh, what happens to everybody. And this book, Rabbit, by Charles Higgins, is, uh, succeeds in that way. Just a little bit into it, just a few chapters into it, there is a mystery to solve. Who is this kid? What's happening? What's driving him? Why are these things happening? And and you're really, you're really invested. There you go. Rabbit by Charles Higgins. I think you'll have a similar experience to me. By the time you're just a short way into the book, you will care. Mm-hmm. 